morning, everyone. Welcome here to Aunt Whistle Community Church. Uh, my name is Lee. I'm a board member here, and I have the privilege of preaching again for you guys today. Anyways, I thought uh, Don, between Don's prayer and Bob's uh, hymns that he chose, they both laid actually an incredible foundation for this sermon. I feel like oh, half of me feels like I don't even actually have to say some of the stuff in here because of it, but we're going to take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses, uh, verses 12 to 19 today. And so, just as a refresher, 1 Peter is uh, a letter to some of the earliest Christian churches that were undergoing very harsh persecution, right? And so, uh, we now, uh, uh, we in our Western society really uh, have a very different idea of what persecution looks like in many ways from the original readers of 1 Peter. And because of that, this book is actually one that we can often Passover, right? We so often actually spend time in the Gospels, uh, and the message is that Jesus is trying to tell us, but this book is actually one of the most popular books for people who are living in places where Christianity is illegal, or where Christianity is severely oppressed, or where their belief in anything of Christianity can lead to imprisonment or death, as, as Don mentioned, Right? And so, in this, though, a concept that we can see in the early church handling persecution and suffering, which is what this text focuses on, is how to commit ourselves to and trust in God in the midst of suffering. And we can, just by what today is, we can see how skewed the, the suffering looks like in our world, right? We, Right now, it's portrayed almost as a, as a joke, and, right? Which is really too bad. But we are going to see what First Peter tries to tell us about it today. And so I'm just going to read for you our, our uh, scripture for today, which again is chapter four, uh, First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 9. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and it begins with us. What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly? And the sinner. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. And I was telling Mike as I was making this, I said, I feel like Peter really gets the point across. I don't feel like 
There's actually much I can say, but what I'm going to do is go through it section by section, and we're just going to take a closer look at what Peter says. We are just going to try and amplify the message that he is trying to tell us. And so I want to just read again verses 12 to 13, because that's where we'll be taking a look at first. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. As though something strange is happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Right, the beginning tells us, do not be surprised. Right, it says, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal. It's a translation that has come on you to test you. And this early church was in the midst of trials. They were currently in the midst of of suffering. And Peter says to them, you should not be surprised by the suffering you face. And why shouldn't they be surprised? Well, I want us to think of our lives for a moment. When a trial comes, humanity's response is usually to try and get through it as quickly and as expediently as possible, right? So that we can return to our version of rightness and comfort in the world. And for Christians, as Don mentioned, a big temptation is to respond to the trial by saying, okay, God, I'm in this trial. What do I need to learn or improve? What do I need to do to get out of it? What is in it for me? But both perspectives miss the central point of what God asks of us during trials. The idea of returning to situations, uh, returning situations to normality or righteousness is actually an echo of humanity before the fall of Eden. When things were perfect, and as part of what Christians are waiting for, when Christ returns and all things are made right. So the want for rightness and normality, for comfort and peace of mind is normal. The want for no more loss and tragedy and death is normal, but if we seek comfort in normality before we seek Christ. We miss what he wants us to do in the midst of our trials. And so, as we go through, the, through these verses, I want you to ponder the question, what does God want us to do in the midst of our trials? Verse 13 says, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Peter makes the bold claim that sufferings, which from the early church was persecution, can be an opportunity for the believer to participate in the suffering Jesus Christ experienced. Through suffering, a believer can further identify with Christ. In the midst of a trial, we, may have a, we have a brutal but unique opportunity to deepen our understanding and deepen our trust in Christ. We get this gritty close-up of some of his experience while he was here on earth. And if we are going through 
that ex- and experiencing that and we're asked to rejoice in the midst of it, that could just seem crazy. But in verse 13, it continues and it says, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. The New Testament is really clear that those that take part in the sufferings of Christ will also take part in his glory when it is revealed and when it comes. And if we are able to have joy while we are in suffering now, and we are anticipating his glory that we get to take part of, we are able to be so much more joyful when it arrives. If we can have joy in the midst of trial, how much more are we capable in the midst of things being made new? So a reason we can rejoice in the midst of sufferings is because in them we may further identify with and trust in Christ and we can be prepared to be even more overjoyed and thankful for what he went through when he arrives again. We're going to move on in First Peter. In verse 14 to 16, and they read, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If (laughs) it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. starts off by saying if you are insulted, but at the time and place of First Peter, that meant something different than the deflectable uh, jibes and criticisms we're used to. In that time in society uh, and in that place, they really ran off of a lot more of an honor and shame system. And so insulting or shaming somebody was a manner of dismantling someone's place in society and disconnecting them from it. So under this sort of pressure from society, it's easy to see how these early Christians who were insulted because they were called Christians, because of the name of Christ, would have been under a lot of pressure to turn away from him. But Peter explains that they were blessed because as they were enduring their fiery ordeal, the spirit of glory and of God was with them, the spirit that we just sang about and thank God that we have in our life is on them during suffering and during persecution. This word, this the word that we see the spirit of glory, right? This word glory is actually based off of Isaiah 11:2, and it shows us that one of God's great characteristics is his glory. We recently talked about the temple, right? And God's glory filling the temple and that people could not even go into the central area of that temple because the glory of God was there. And so certain priests had to take special precautions to even approach that glory. That is the glory 
that was revealed in Jesus in John 14, 18. And they endured this suffering because the Spirit of the Father and of glory, the Son, was resting on them. And so in the midst of persecution and suffering, the blessing the early church received was not the suffering itself, but the presence of the Spirit of glory and of God. And this, the presence of the Spirit, was the main reason they could rejoice in suffering. And verse 15 starts off by giving us a premise for this sort of suffering. It says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. And this translates to us because, oh, sorry, I missed a spot. <laughs> and you can think of how if the church at the time of 1 Peter was experiencing these acts of persecution from people, the temptation must have been great for them to react with the same kinds of actions. It is so easy to react in an eye-for-an-eye manner. But that would be a sinful reaction to the sin we are experiencing and would have made an already difficult situation more difficult for them. And this translates to us because believers are bearers of the Spirit of God and act as his representatives here on earth. And by acting as his spirit leads, we give God glory. We must do this even in suffering. Because if we react in a worldly manner, we do not imitate Christ's reaction in his suffering. We do not give him glory, and in turn, we don't experience his glory that he so badly wants us to. We miss an opportunity to trust God in the midst of our trials. And verse 16 goes on to tell us that we do not need to be ashamed for suffering that comes from identifying ourselves as Christians. Instead, we are told to praise God that we bear that name. And at the same time, I'm sure most of us can think of a time we decided not to say we were Christians out of shame or fear of the response we would get. We, we have this spirit of God and this glory that's given to us, and yet we in our lives have found times where we are fearful or ashamed to say that and express that. But we can see hope in the fact that it is Peter that wrote this. This is the same Peter that was scared of suffering because he followed Christ and as a result rejected knowing him fiercely three times over while Christ was on his way to the cross. You can hear the conviction of him saying, don't make the mistake I did. But after Christ's death, he went on to tell Peter that he was the rock that Jesus would build his church on. And Don talked last week about us being living stones. 
right? Members of Christ's family. That is through us embracing the Spirit of God. And if people pressure or mock us for being Christians, it should actually have a counterintuitive effect, the opposite effect on us, because it shows us evidence that we are experiencing persecution and suffering from living out our faith. That means we are embracing the spirit of, that God has given us. A believer's willingness to suffer comes from the inner transformation of the sanctifying work of the spirit. So suffering for Christ is a mark of honor, not shame. It shows us that contrary to popular belief, God has not abandoned the Christian who suffers. It's actually the opposite. God is powerfully present in the experience of suffering for Christ. And in verse 17 and 18, we get to some more insight into the long-term effects and results of these experiences. And 17 to 18 reads, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and it begins with us. What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And so verse 17 tells us that judgment is actually going to begin with God's family, believers. But this is a bit bizarre for us to hear because we're so used to hearing messages of no condemnation and freedom and salvation through Christ. And those are all still true. But so we must wonder why, why and what does it mean that we'll be judged first? And in the Old Testament and New Testament, it's actually a common theme for the family of God to be judged first. In Acts 14, 22, it actually shows us that before the full unfolding of the messianic kingdom, there will be judgments. These are the beginning of the birth planes described in Revelations, the troubles that come to the world before Christ's return in glory. And our suffering is part of those pains or judgments. But this suffering has a purpose. I'd like to hop back to verse 12 for a moment, and we can look at that word fiery, right? It says, the fiery ordeal you are experiencing. And this is being used to discuss the act of trials of the early church, but it is also used in the Old Testament when they were speaking of swords and tools and precious metals being smelted in flame. And that smelting was a refining process. Jesus having us endure suffering is a purifying process. This process can either refine our faith and strength and our resolve in Christ, or it can be what exposes that we are not actually in a true relationship with Christ. It is something that proves who really cares 
about the relationship they profess to have to God. In the midst of persecution and suffering, will you step away from God because you don't trust the truth of the gospel and the spirit dwelling in you? This refining process has the purpose of preparing us for the final day of salvation by making us fit for the judgment to come. And verse 18 says, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly in this, and the sinner? The simple truth for us is that we are only saved because of the gospel, because of Jesus and the spirit of him in our lives. And so if we barely make it, only making it on those grounds, not because of our own righteousness or works, not because of anything we can do, but because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. What does that mean for those who do not believe? And we move on to the closing statement in verse 19. And it says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit to their faithful creator and continue to do good. We are told to commit ourselves to God in suffering. And the wording is actually a parallel of Jesus Christ committing himself to God while he suffered on the cross. In Luke 23, 46, when this happened, it says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. We are asked to commit ourselves throughout our suffering to God as Christ did living out our faith as Christ did to the very end of our time here, with all the time that we have here. This is the essence of being a Christian, of bearing that name, is committing ourselves to Christ. And so, we return to that question from the beginning. What does Christ want us to do in the midst of our trials? He wants us to commit ourselves to God as he himself did. Suffering is not just an opportunity for self-improvement. It's about experiencing the spirit of glory and of God. And in that spirit's, in that, in that spirit's presence, we find confidence and joy. The scripture is unfortunately a very topical one for our church right now. We have had a lot of suffering recently between the loss of community or work, or friends, the death of loved ones, this time has been very hard on people. 
me and my wife are blessed to have a baby girl on the way right now. But before that, we actually had a miscarriage. And when it took place, we were devastated and we had a lot of questions in our head. But the a central question quickly arose. It was, do we trust God with our We had to decide in the time if we really trusted and were committed to God in trusting him with the life of one of our children. And we decided to say yes. We didn't understand, but we knew that we could trust him. And in that we were able to start looking for how the situation fits into God's plan. We thought, you know, maybe if the child had lived, they might have fallen away from Christ. So maybe God took them to make them be in salvation with him right away. We thought, you know what, maybe that's okay. Maybe God just wanted to see him first before we did. That's okay. <laughs> but we could trust that God would be better parents to that child than we ever could be. Our child would have the unique experience of experiencing the perfect parent and salvation before even leaving the womb. <laughs> so you may tell me that that circumstance of suffering isn't even close to what you have experienced and that you have experienced far more than that and you have hard questions for God. You may say to me, you have no idea what I have gone through and am going through. And you are right. There is a good chance I may not. But I can surely promise you that God does. And he so badly wants to show you what committing yourself to God can do for you in the midst of hardships. So if you're a believer, I urge you to trust in and commit to God because of the joy and hope that only His Spirit and His Gospel message can bring to you in the midst of trials. And if you don't know God or are just learning or searching about him, I just want to tell you he so badly wants to know you. He wants you to be safe with him at that final judgment. He wants that relationship with you. He wants to give you hope that nothing else can. He's not waiting to punish you. He's waiting with a want to welcome you home. He wants to welcome you as well as those who already believe to be with him in his glory.
So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. Today, as I pray for us, and we sing again about the Spirit of God and its presence in our lives, if you know God, search for that Spirit. Search to deepen your trust in it and thank it for the love that it gives you and the hope that only it can give. And if you do not know God, I pray, come and talk to someone in the church. Come and search for the only opportunity you can have to have joy in suffering. The only way, which is Jesus. Let's pray together as a church on that note. Lord God, our suffering is nothing compared to the suffering you experienced on the cross and taking the sins of the world on your shoulders, God, and you did it all for us. And in that, Lord, you ask us to act as followers of you and rejoice in your message of love and grace and peace in the midst of our suffering in God, I pray that you give us the conviction of the truth of your presence in our lives. Let us know, yes, it's okay to ask questions, but let us first commit ourselves to you, and through committing ourselves to you, Lord, find the truth in those questions we want to ask. And even in the questions we can't answer, let us just commit ourselves to trusting in you and those as well. Thank you for this time, Lord. Thank you for this church. And I pray today, as people leave here, they just trust in you, God. Amen.